message dedicated to those of you who are currently living right now in a pit situation. When you are in a pit, your heart has come down with anxiety and depression. The circumstances, the situations around your life have dragged your countenance down, your focus down, your faith down, and you were living in a low place. I want to start by saying that the enemy will use whatever your heart is in to attack you. I'm going to say it again. The enemy will use whatever your heart is attached to to attack you. The enemy had a hard time with David because David was so full of faith and so full of praise and had such a vibrant faith and a vibrant position of his heart toward God. So when the enemy failed attacking David head on, he switched the attack and he started attacking David through his relationships, his love relationships, the relationships that were important to him. And, you know, whether people realize it or not, Uh, The enemy will use your love relationships to attack you, your spouses, your children, your family ties, whether they realize it or not, can be tools of the enemy to wreak havoc on your emotions and on your mind. And I'm not saying that they're full of the devil. I'm not saying that they're, you know, sent from hell. I'm saying that anybody can allow themselves to be used temporarily as a tool of an enemy to get a jab in on you. And when the enemy fails hitting you head on, he will switch the attack and use what your heart is tied to to try to poison you and attack you and bring you down. The enemy always, through David's entire life, the enemy always fought him through what his heart was in. Started with his father. Out of all of the brothers that he had, David was the least favorite child. Never got the attention and the affirmation of his father. So the enemy tried to work on him and try to destroy his identity through that negative relationship he had with his father. See, it's not just the things people do to us. You know, if you love somebody and they hurt you, it's not just what they did. It's how you internalize and how you feel about what they did. And see, that's where the enemy's real work begins. Not only can he motivate people to hurt you, but then he can do a dance on your head trying to help you make sense of it to make sure you misappropriate it and misunderstand it. David struggled in his relationship with his father, his relationship with his brothers. When David came to bring them bread and cheese on the battlefield, they said, we know you didn't come up here with a servant's heart. We know you have a haughty heart and that you're full of pride and you're not here for the right reasons. It was another jab to his soul and to his character from a family member. Then Michael, his first wife, Saul had made a pronouncement. Saul was just trying to get somebody to go fight Goliath. And Saul had made a pronouncement. He said, anybody that can kill Goliath, uh, he, he, can, he can live tax-free and, uh, and he, can, he can marry my daughter and, I, and I'll give him a bunch of land. And so when David killed Goliath as a byproduct, he got to marry Saul's daughter. Her name was Michael. And all oh, the enemy just did a number on this boy through Michael. First of all, Michael was disillusioned about what it meant to be a real wife. She had grown up spoiled in Saul's house, and Saul was not the best father. And then to give her away as a prize for taking the giant down just added insult to injury. So Michael was constantly undermining David. You ain't a real king. You ain't real royalty. You you ain't even acting like a king. When David came in with the Ark of the Covenant and he was dancing and his royal robes were starting to fall off, she stood in the window and mocked him and said, no real king would ever behave like that. You're just a shepherd boy dressing up like a king, constantly undermining him. 
You made one lucky shot with a slingshot, hit a giant with a rock, and now you think you're somebody. But you ain't really a king trying to undermine who he was on the inside. And the enemy will use people that are close to you to try to undermine who you are on the inside to make you doubt who you are. See, it's not really important whether or not other people believe in what God is doing in you. The thing that matters most is that you believe in what God is doing in you. But if you are not careful, you will let the words of people that know you start to sink into your psyche and make you question, I wonder if I am really supposed to be what God told me. I wonder if God really did tell me if I'm supposed to be. And it'll put you in a questioning posture and make you miss divine appointments that God has for you. And I want to tell you, no matter how much you love your spouse, no matter how much you love your children, no matter how much you love your family ties, you better watch it. You better never make any of them your spiritual voice or the anchor of your soul. Because if the relationship goes sour or if they get mad at you, you got to have somewhere in your heart you can go and you say, I don't care if anybody else is for me. The word over my life is the word you say, God. The word that defines me is the word you say, God. I love you, 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 and you, but ain't none of y'all my God. Ain't none of y'all my maker. Ain't none of y'all my creator. Ain't none of y'all my sustainer. And if you turn around and walk away from me, I'm still going to be here because God is my refuge and God is my strength and God is... Michael attacked his identity. She attacked who he was. She attacked his very core. And yet he had to go on. I wish people could just be good to each other. Like, like in family relationships, I don't know what it is about family, especially with, with children and parents and, and spouses and all kinds of those relationships. It seems like when the tension escalates over issues, it's not good enough to just talk about the issue. You got to try to tear each other down. And every time you do that, just know in that moment, you're being used as a weapon of Satan to assault their very character and nature that came from God, not you. You may love them, but they don't belong to you. I know you say little cute romantic things when you're feeling romantic. I belong to you. No, you don't. We are the sheep of his pasture. It is the Lord. He has made us and not we ourselves. It's dangerous to turn your identity and your most precious core values over into the hands of another fallen human being. You may love them today. You may be ready to choke them next Friday. Put your hope and your essence and your core in something that is solid like the things of God. Michael did it to him. And then David's mentor, Saul, the one who invited him into the palace. Saul was the one that opened the door for him. Saul is the one that elevated. Saul is the one that blessed him. Saul loved David until he didn't. This is why men make terrible gods. 
This is why you can't put your focus on the boss for the promotion of the blessing. You can't put your focus on a person to raise you up because they will love you until they don't. And Saul loved David until he didn't. And when he didn't, the one that loved him started throwing javelins at him. Can you imagine the psychological warfare David went through? Somebody that invited you into their house, tells you to sit down at the table, then takes out a spear and starts trying to pin you with it. And if you're not careful, if you're getting that at home, which he was with Michael, and if you're getting that at the office, which he was with Saul, and if you got that at home from your daddy, which he did from Jesse, and if you got that from your brothers, which he did from Eliab, all of a sudden you start walking around wondering, is everybody wrong? Can I have one healthy connection? Have you ever thought that? Have you ever just gotten your car exasperated and said, can I just have one healthy relationship? I love how all y'all just left me out there with that. Like you ain't never said, can I just have one healthy relationship? Thank you, Rebecca. I got you. You got me too. None of the relationships are healthy. And now finally, Saul has passed. God has given the kingdom to David. Everything that everybody in his life said would never happen. The opposite of all those inside voices of fear happened and David finally got what God had promised him. He's the king. And now he has a son named Absalom. Scripture said he was the most handsome man in all of the territory. He's a beautiful son. He's a healthy son. Surely this is going to be an heir. And now he's got more problems in his relationships because his own son stages a coup. Says David ain't worth being our king. You ought to throw him out, kill him, and appoint me to the kingdom instead. So David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, David, the man after God's own heart, is running for his life, hiding in a three-by-nine pit. And he must have brought some paper with him, because when he's down there in the pit, he takes out a pen, and he begins to write a psalm. In the psalm, he pours out his fear to God in prayer. And he'll mention a fear and then he'll answer himself out of his own heart from the stored knowledge he has about God. Later, he would write thy word. I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Have you any fears today? Well, you probably don't have an army of 10,000 people looking for you. This psalm describes two levels of fear. And then four steps out. It's two levels deep. Four steps out. Verse one and two. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. And he wasn't lying. The number was 10,000. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. Now, if you read this carefully, if you could put the scripture on the screen, please. If you read this carefully, you'll notice two levels of fear. Number one, Lord, Look at all these people coming against me. How are they increased that are rising up against me? And then he says, and there's many saying of my soul, there's no help for him in God. Two things there, two levels. The first is visceral fear, literal fear, run for your life or you're going to die kind of fear. It's the first level. You better hide. You go to the wilderness. You do what you can do to get out or they're going to take your life. The second fear 
Verse two, many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. This is different. This is a fear of the soul. Not concerned about the body being in imminent danger from an army coming. This is a fear of the soul, and you have to read it carefully. David said, this is what they're saying about me. They're saying there's no help for him in God. Then he says, Selah, which means think about it. And when you do think about it, it's riveting. What they were saying is that God has departed from David like he departed from Saul. What they were saying around the kingdom, you remember the whole kingdom had to witness God tear the kingdom from Saul's hand. And everyone saw it. No one could deny it. And now they're saying the same way that God tore the kingdom away from Saul, he's tearing it away from David. They're saying God's not with him anymore. And this attack, this second level, the attack of the soul is deeper than the first because once again, his core, his character, his identity is being assaulted. Absalom was saying, remember Saul's sin. God removed him. Well, look at my father's terrible sins. He's committed murder, adultery with Bathsheba. He lied to the kingdom to try to cover it up. He has no right to be our king. He has no right to lead us. He's been a bad king. He's been a bad believer. He's been a bad man. He's been a bad father. He does not deserve the position that he has. So the first level, physical. The second level, psychological, spiritual in the soul. And it's the second level where depression and anxiety set in. The first fear makes you run. The second fear paralyzes you. And the second fear is worse because it threatens your very identity and sense of self. And many people like David, your very identity and sense of self has been threatened all of your life. Because you were never given the safety of a healthy relationship to grow in. You always had to fight to be who you are. Now David's identity once again is up under attack. He had just got the kingdom. Hadn't even got his feet wet on the promise that God gave him. And he was wearing the crown. And something can happen when you're promoted. You can begin to identify yourself with the crowns God gives you. And David has started to identify himself with the crown. But now the crown's gone. And his sense of self is threatened. And this is what brings depression on people when they lose the thing they built their sense of self on. You know, you built your sense of self around being a mother and a wife and all of a sudden the family crumbles apart. Divorce papers are signed. What do you do when the thing you built your identity on is broken? What do you do when you built your identity on being a successful businessman and you hit a bad two years? What do you do? When the thing you built your core identity on crumbles. And this is what is happening to David. It's like athletes. You know, I was watching something the other day about uh, pro football athletes. You know, when they retire, they go through severe depression. It's like a 75% uh, group of the, of the athletes that retire from pro football. They go through depression because since they were little boys, they built their identity on going into stadiums and playing in front of people and people cheering. And now when you take the thing away, you can be a great man. You can be a rich man, but the identity structure has crumbled because they are no longer in the position. They are no longer fueling that identity that they had built. And David is in despair in a pit. 
Scripture says, how are they increased that trouble me? Many there be that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. Selah, verse three, but serving God will always give you a but. I'm scared, but I don't fully know who I am, but people that I thought would stay forever have walked out on me. But, and then after the but, he begins to lay out four things that help you get out of the pit. Number one, review your covenant. Number two, relocate your glory. Number three, remember the substitute. And number four, receive the removal. Number one, review your covenant. David knew his covenant. The first thing God promised to be was a shield. I read it to you in Genesis 15, 1. Fear not, Abraham. I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. Sometimes God will allow you to be threatened, but stay with the shield. The shield is a promise of two things. Number one, you will be shot at. You will be attacked. You will go through warfare. But number two, you will survive it. Whatever you're going through this morning, whatever arrows are flying at your head, you will survive it because God himself will be your shield. Notice God didn't say to Abraham, I'm going to give you a shield. No, he said, I, myself, my very nature, my person, my being, I will be your shield. And then the last thing about the shield, shields only work when you're going forward. In other words, this shield thing don't work if you turn around from the enemy and run or you drop everything and quit or you decide to walk out or you decide it's too tough and the mental pressure is too much and I just can't handle it. This is for the faithful, consistent, strong-minded people who have made the decision, no matter what, I'm going to go forward. I don't feel like going forward. I'm not emotionally in a safe place where I want to go forward. I don't feel all this energy I should right now, but I'm going to go forward no matter what. Shields only work when you go forward. Number two, relocate the glory. You got to re relocate the glory. The glory of a king was his crown. David lost his crown. He's not a king. He's not a good father. He's not a good man. He has nothing left to base his identity on. And yet he says, notice this. Absalom saying you don't deserve to be king. You had a man murdered in our own army. You slept with his wife. You got her pregnant. You lied to the kingdom. You tried to cover it up. You don't deserve to be king. You're not a good king. You're not a good man. And God's taking this kingdom from you. Now, pause a second. Where did Absalom lie? See, it's one thing to fight off the lies of the enemy when they're lies. But what do you do when what the haters are saying? But look what David said. This is insane to me. He says, uh, many there be which say of my soul, there's no help for him in God. 
And with a rap sheet like he had, he says these next words, but thou, O Lord, art a shield for me. My glory. Ooh. Crown was never my glory. It was always you. Position was never my glory. It was always you. All the things I had were never my glory. It was always you. All the money I had was never my glory. It was always you. When David said, you are my glory, he's showing us a picture about why he overcame every attack that ever came against him in his entire life. Because you couldn't shake David's identity. His identity wasn't in anything he had possession of. His identity was in his God. And you may have some weaknesses and some issues and some brokenness. You may have a long rap sheet. You may be guilty of a lot of stuff like David was. But if your identity is in God, you will always have a firm core. People can attack it all your life. Husbands and wives can attack it. Children can attack it. Parents can attack it. Employers can attack it. But you'll always be able to stand when you can say, you are my glory. You are the lifter up of my head. What, is he, what does glory mean? It means weight, significance. The thing that makes everything not like anything else. And David said, you're my weight. You're my significance. And as long as I know I have your approval, my significance is in your approval. Now, you say that to your spouse, my significance is tied to your approval, you're going to be going up and down all of your life. I mean, even if you've got a great spouse, up and down all your life. You know. Your children, if your significance is in your children, you're going to go up and down all your life. Some of you have been around here a while know how much I fought for my boy and all the speech therapy for years and all the praying and crying and tears and seed and everything we went through with my boy. My boy... I had to, when my wife got put on bed rest, I had to work for those words. I mean, I, the speech therapy sessions I have spent, I don't know, I've spent a good portion of my life the last three years in a speech therapy waiting room trying to get that boy to be able to talk. And he used those words that I help him get. I was getting on to him about something. He looked up, to, up at me the other day and said, Daddy, I don't love you. Now, he repented. <laughs> After some motivation, but. But for a minute, but for a minute, you know, just a minute. I mean, just a minute. I'm not as good as Bishop. He, he cast it down in one second. You know, I let stuff linger a little while. Mull over a few things, you know. Be careful before you say something crazy to me because I got a minute before the saved will kick back in. You know, my saved goes on pause for a second and I start thinking of things and devising strategies and getting creative and it's, it's, it's wild. But, but, for, but for a minute, but for a minute, like I started thinking about all the junk I've done for this little sucker. You know. and I'm not being rational. I'm not, you know, he's five years old. He's saying everything in the world. You know, kids say the darndest things, you know, whatever. But, but, but for a minute. 
And I promise you, as he gets older, he's going to say a lot more things that made me stop. For, you ever had your kids say something to you that made you stop for a minute? I ain't got no real, no hand went up. You ain't never had your kids say anything crazy to you? We in church this morning, wake up. Wake your neighbor up. Say, wake up. Say, they'll say something to you that, that, that for a minute just kind of throws you. And if you've put your identity in your parenting, if you've put your identity in the relationship with your children, if you put your identity down in the marriage and you're saying, my significance is in your approval. Even if you got a set of angels living in your house, you're going to be disappointed. And your heart's going to go down into the pit sometimes. But David said, no, my weight, my significance is in your approval. And that's how he's able to be at peace with 10,000 people looking for him, trying to kill him. Is because as long as I know that you're with me, as long as I know that you approve of me, as long as I know that you're happy with me, as long as I know that you love and accept me, that's the core of my heart. I can rebuild anything else. I can rebuild anything else. Number three, remember the substitute. So look, you should be asking. All that's good so far. Verse one and two. You should, but you should be asking. How was David so confident that he had the approval of God? He did kill a man. There's that whole inconvenient thou shalt not kill thing. He did sleep with his wife while she was still married to him. There's that whole thou shalt not commit adultery thing. You know. And and then he lied about it. There's the whole thou shalt not lie thing. I mean, he's broken three out of ten in one incident. Why? And, and basically, basically, you know, his chickens are coming home to roost. At least that's what it looks like to the outside world. Oh, David's been messing around. He's been in sin. He's been failing again. His chickens are coming home to roost. You know, Absalom's got the army. They got the power. They're saying God's forsaken him. He ain't anointed no more. Be careful about that when you say that. God has a habit of shocking people when you say that. Say so he ain't got the anointing no more. He ain't got the position no more. We're going to run him out of here. And everybody's confident that God's done with David except David. What do you have, boy? What do you have that you know God is happy with you? What do you have? What secret do you have? What is it that you got that you are thoroughly convinced that even after your sin and your murder and your lying and your wickedness, that God still adores you and he loves you? What is it about it? And it's hidden in the text. He said in verse four, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. Watch. And he heard me. Here's the whole text out of his holy hill. Then he says, Selah. Think about it. A lot of preachers have said he's talking about heaven. He heard me out because where's God? He's in heaven. And uh, he on the throne, you know, and a lot of preachers say, well, he's talking about God heard me out of heaven and he answered me. No, if you do your research in the Hebrew, the holy hill is always referring to Mount Zion. 
Temple Mount. It was the place where the blood sacrifices took place. It was the place where the tabernacle was set up, where the priests one time a year would take the blood of a lamb and they would make an atonement offering. The man would confess his sins to the priest. The priest would place his hands on the lamb and speak the sins back over the lamb. And there was a substitute. The lamb in that moment would take and receive the punishment and the sin and the death that the man should have died. And the man got to walk back out free with the life the lamb died to give him. It was the principle of substitutionary atonement, which simply means something innocent dying so that something guilty can live. And so David's down in that pit, looking up at the highest peak in the region, which was Mount Zion. And he said, I cried to the Lord with my voice. And he heard me, not from heaven. He said, the hill heard me. The hill where the blood was flowing heard me. The hill where the sacrifice was made heard me. The hill where the blood was shed so that even though I'm guilty, I can be forgiven. The hill heard me. And he had so much confidence in what happened at the hill. I said he had so much confidence in what happened at the hill. He had so much confidence in the sacrifice of those lambs, those atonement offerings, that he said, I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that set themselves against me round about. He had so much confidence in the blood that was shed on that hill that he said, I laid down and sleep. And the Lord sustained me. He slept with an army after him because he had so much confidence in what happened at the hill. Ladies and gentlemen, if David had that much confidence over a sheep, a little quadruped dying on a hill called Zion, you and I as believers have been given a much greater hill to look to, the hill called Calvary, where Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God himself, carried an old rugged cross and opened up the blood of his veins, the wounds in his body poured out a blood sacrifice that if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter what you have done, no matter how guilty you are, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you accept him in your heart, if you ask his Holy Spirit to come and live in, then no matter what you are guilty of, you can be forgiven. And not only that, you can know God is pleased with me. God delights in me. You can take your glory back. You can take your significance back. No matter who walks off and leaves you, no matter who says you disappointed them, no matter who doesn't give you their approval, you can stand firm in faith and say, I know if I don't have anything, else. I got enough to build my life on and live my life on because I know I have the approval of my God. Yeah. I cried unto the Lord with my voice and he heard me out of his holy hill. Verse five, I laid me down and slept. Confidence in the blood of Jesus Christ will give you peace. I'm not talking about just a mental ascent. Okay, you know, I know Jesus died. I'm talking about real bona fide confidence in the blood of Jesus will give your soul peace. Deep down on the inside. 
He said, I laid me down and slept. I awaked for the Lord sustained me. Verse six, I'll read it again. I will not be afraid of 10,000s of people that have set themselves against me round about. Now, these six verses, he's been pouring out his fear. He's been reaffirming his knowledge in the truth of God, speaking to his own heart. You got to start doing that. Your heart will fill up with anxiety, depression, worries, and fear, and it'll start to leak out of your mouth. When it does, you got to speak back to your heart the truth you know about God. Don't let, all the, don't let the negative voice be the only thing that is voiced in your mind. you got to talk back to it out of the truth of what you know about God. And that's what he does the first six verses. Then in verse 7, while in a pit, he starts to turn and prophesy over his situation. First part of this sermon, I've led you through the theology and the doctrinal components of what he was doing. I've showed you Christ in the text, the substitute. I've showed you David's commitment to theology in the face of his own personal moral crisis, in the face of crisis with the relationships he was facing. But now the service and the message tilts and shifts to the prophetic because the Lord told me to prophesy these verses over you. And so in this moment, no matter what picture in, whether it's a relational pit, an emotional pit, a financial pit, a pit of sickness and disease. I speak these words over your life in the name of Jesus Christ. I speak spirit to spirit, charge to charge, faith to faith, voice to voice. He says, arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. Whatever you need saving from, raise your hands. Whether it's salvation, whether it's healing, whether it's a situation in the legal system, whether it's a situation in family or relationships, we're going to say it together. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. Let's say it again. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. Hope you understand the power of what you just did because the Bible teaches that salvation is voice activated. Paul said, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you confess him with your mouth, believe in your heart, then you're saved. David said, I cried unto the Lord with my voice and he heard me. Salvation is voice activated. If you need help right now, if you need help in your life, if you need help in your health, if you need help in your family, arise, oh Lord, save me. Oh my God. I'll start to feel it now. Somebody needs to say it one more time. Arise! Oh Lord! Save me! Oh my God! Prophecy number two. In response to that prayer, David felt something shaking in the spirit, just like I feel something shaking right now. Even though you were being led in a confession, somebody confessed that with faith. And the next part of this verse applies to you. Because for somebody, what just happened in the spirit is what David said. For thou hast smitten all my enemies upon the cheekbone couple of things. The cheekbone is the power of the jaw to bite. I prophesy in the name of Jesus, God's taking the bite out of your enemy. I prophesy in the name of Jesus, God's taking the bite out of the health condition. I prophesy in the name of Jesus, what they've been threatening you with, with that legal stuff, God's about to take the bite 
bite out of it. He said, you have spitten all my enemies on the cheekbone. Then he says, thou hast broken the teeth. Some of you are facing some stuff that's got some teeth in it. A legal contract you violated and it's got some teeth in it. Some mess you got yourself in that you shouldn't have been in, but you did it anyway. And that thing's got some teeth in it. And you're thinking about, about how am I going to get out of this unscathed, unbitten, uncut? How am I going to get out of this thing? You're going to get out like this. He's going to break the teeth. Ooh, I feel it. He's going to break the teeth. You're going to be staring at a toothless enemy. Oh, yes, you are. You're going to be staring at a toothless enemy without the power to bite and without the weapons to work with. God's about to disarm the enemy. Just like he did it for David. And he did it on a prayer. He did it on a arise, oh Lord, save me, oh my God. Just confidence in the blood that flowed from the hill and a, and a prayer. Just arise, oh Lord, save me, oh my God. Isn't that what Paul said about salvation? Just confidence in your heart that Jesus is who he says he is. And confession with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. It's just confidence in the heart and a simple prayer up to heaven. That's all it is today. It's just confidence in the heart and a simple prayer to heaven. Save me, God. Save me, God. Save me, God. And he said, God got up. And God, yeah, I just thought about this. It, it must hurt to get hit by God. And I wouldn't be elementary with that, except that's what it says in the text. He said, you, you get the mental imagery. He said, you have smitten, which means to strike with the fist. You have smitten my enemies on the... I've wrestled with my weight all my life and uh, severely when I was a teenager, uh, 13, 14, 15, I was, I was hovering around 300 pounds and uh, really couldn't go upstairs or do a whole lot of things about really getting out of breath and struggling and, and uh, teased a lot, you know, and we were at youth camp and uh, I had one buddy that didn't tease me. And uh, it was Patrick. You can stand up again, Patrick. I had one buddy. And, and I was 13. And Patrick's been that big since I was 13. I don't know how that happened. We're not that far in age. He's been that big since I was 13. And, um, and me and Patrick, we used to talk about Jean-Claude Van Damme movies. We, we loved all those karate movies, you know. And, and we were at youth camp, and there was this bully that just was giving me a, a tough time. And uh, he was like 16, and I was 13, and he was tall, and, and I was little and fat, and just it was just bad. It was a bad situation. And, uh, and I was on the bottom bunk, and Patrick was up on the top, and this bully came in and started giving me the business. And Patrick, in like a Jean-Claude Van Damian way, just peeked out from that top bunk. 
and swung down and smote my enemy on the cheekbone. And his teeth rattled when he hit the floor. Now, Patrick had the warfare, but I got the victory. But I stood up, yeah, that's how we do it, yeah. And that's how some of you are going to be. I don't know how you interpret what just happened here in the spirit, but when you prayed that prayer, something happened to your enemy. Some of you are going to go back home, walk into that thing that you were fighting, and look at it and say, yeah, that's how we do it. Practice that now. Say, yeah, that's how we do it. Give the Lord praise in the house this morning. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I believe in you. I believe in what you did at the hill. I believe the blood flowed so that sinners like me could be forgiven. Today, I believe in you in my heart. And I confess you with my mouth. Arise, oh God. Save me now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lift your hands and worship him for just a moment. He's in the house. such a sweet anointing just sweeping through and touching people. Holy Spirit, have your way and do your thing. Yeah. anointing we want to pray for a few people uh, but I want you to remember a few things Number one, don't rest your identity in positions and titles or even in personal relationships it's a terrible thing to build the essence of who you are on build your outer build your identity from which everything in your outer life flows build that on the fact that you believe in Jesus that you've been saved and as a result you've been given a purpose there's a reason for your life. There's a reason for you to be here. And uh, 
Don't let people's disappointments in you, either way, good or bad, define who you say you are. You are who God says you are. You are who God says you are. All the stuff Absalom said about David was true, and none of it meant anything to God. None of it meant anything to God. When God talks about David, God still calls, and that's the man after my own heart. Some of you may have had some big failures, and because of the failures and because of how your failures hurt other people, other people may have labeled you things for years that God doesn't label you. In fact, I just want to tell you, you are not who they said you are. You are not what they said you are. Your God is your Father. He's the one that names. He's the one that establishes. And uh, number two, the whole psalm is David answering himself. You got to answer yourself. Those fears come, those voices come, all that stuff comes. You got to answer yourself. Just talk out of your heart the truth you know about God. Talk out of your heart the truth you know about God. Respond to those negative voices. Respond to those fears with the truth you know about God. You'll be victorious. And then, last verse. Last verse. I'll, I already put my Bible down. I'm sorry. Last verse. Can you hand me that, somebody? Yeah. Then he says, salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Then he says, he's saying this in a hole. He's not the king anymore, right? Now, now really he's the king, but the title and position has been stripped. But even though the title and position has been stripped, he's still thinking about the people. You know what I'm saying? So, in a, in a hole, he rises up in his role as the priestly office and as the king and as the worshiper of the nation. And he speaks blessing. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Lift up your hands. Lord, thy blessing is upon thy people. From the top of your head to the sole of your feet, I speak that you are blessed right now. I speak that you're blessed in your mind. You're blessed in your health. You're blessed in your finances. You're blessed with your children. You're blessed in your relationships. You are blessed in the name of Jesus. Give the Lord one more high hand.